right, folks, thanks for tuning in. Uh, a treat for us today, Rick Warren, the Saddleback guy, the Purpose Driven Life guy, the most importantly, the K. Warren guy joins us on yeah, the that's phone. That's right. Yeah. And uh, it's been a while. Rick, good to have you back on the show. Obviously, thanks, you're on because the world lost Billy. Yeah. You know, Billy Graham was without a doubt the most influential Christian uh, of the 20, 20th century. He preached to more people, Drew, in person than anybody in history. Over 200 million people heard him in person, which means that probably only Pope John Paul II and Mother Teresa would be as widely recognized around the world uh, as Billy Graham. And um, for me, of course, he was a personal mentor for over 40 years. I met him when I was only 20 years old, and uh, it's a bittersweet day for me. Um, um, it's a loss for the world, but I'm happy for the for Billy and the Kingdom. Okay, so first of all, I, I want to get this out of the way. If only I had your grandmother praying for me the way she prayed for you and Billy Graham, my life would have gone <laughs> way better, way better. <laughs> you know, that's a funny story. Um, you know, growing up in a Baptist home, Billy Graham was our pope. And when <laughs> I read my first Billy Graham book, Peace with God, I think when I was in the sixth grade. And when I was 16... Uh, I felt called by God to preach, even while I was in high school, and I started preaching in churches and little crusades up and down the West Coast each weekend, even while I was in school, and Billy was my hero and, and my model. And in 1971, I think when I was 17, uh, I got to hear Billy speak in person at the Oakland, California crusade for the very first time, and, I, and I'll never forget that thrill. And three years later, in 1974, at the L.A. Um, Los Angeles Crusade, I met Billy for the first time. I was 20 years old. Um, I'd preached about 120 uh, evangelistic crusades, revivals, youth things, and Billy somehow heard about my young evangelistic efforts, and he, he took an interest in, in me. And that began a mentoring relationship that stretched over the next uh, mm, uh, 40 years. Hey. And so it, it would be hard to overestimate. But during those years... Um, um, my grandmother, in those early years when I was preaching as a teenager, my grandmother, who was a pretty godly woman and, and a woman of prayer, told me that she pre prayed for two people every day, Billy Graham and me, and uh, that, that gave me a lot of encouragement. Uh, you were known to be a leader in many ways, you know, what was it, first church on the Internet, you and Al Gore, you know, launched it. <laughs> um and and then there was also the facts of life that was kind of a crazy. You'd fax out all these, you know, this this stuff to like yep. leaders and that, preachers. Boy, you're and, going way back on that one, yeah. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I mean, you even got a note from. By the way, is it Reverend Doctor Billy Graham, Doctor Reverend Doctor Right Honorable? You know what? Like, what are all the things? Of honorary doctors. He never personally called himself Doctor Billy Graham. Everybody else did. Yeah. But he's just Billy. Okay. Uh, and, which, by the way, is one of the keys to greatness. Uh, you know, being in his presence, he wasn't impressed with himself. I, my theory is that great people make people feel great. And, and that, uh, when they're not impressed with themselves, they're more impressed with you. Hmm. And it, 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 little people be little people. Okay? It's little people who are always putting other people down. The great people, uh, Billy never lost his hometown values, his growing up in the country, rural mentality, aw shucks. Uh, and God is good, and everything we have is a gift of God, and that gratitude, he, he never lost that, that simple humility, uh, which made him e easy to get along with. But you're right, talking about that technology, 
one of the things I learned early on is uh, Billy's use of, of technology. In fact, Billy mentored me in, in different ways. When, when I started out as a teenager, his first influence on me was how he preached. Uh, that that was a, a model for me, how he preached and how he would invite people to come to know God, get to know Jesus in a very simple and straightforward way. As I got a little bit older, in my 20s, it was his character that became a model for me, uh, and that was his, um, you know, uh, his integrity, his generosity, his humility, things like that. Then in his 30s, I started noticing his strategy, and that's when I noticed his use of technology, um, his use of uh, of how he strategically invited people together. He was a bridge builder, a lot of stuff like that. And Billy Graham used what technology was there. I think he was one of the early guys to use uh, television. He was certainly one of the early guys to use film and and movies. Uh, I think he was the first guy in the, in the world to actually do a global simulcast, which he did from Puerto Rico. And so uh, I did the same thing, too. You know, when fax machines came out, I think there were about four of them out in print. In, in, in the in the world, and I started a, a Monday morning uh, inspirational for business leaders uh, devotional called the Facts of Life, and and it uh, it uh, you know we would fax it to businesses, made fax it to other people, and on and on around the world, and then later when the internet came out, it really did. It was 1993 that uh, some tech guys in my church goes, "There's this thing that's going to come out called the internet. We need to be on it." So let's do it. And so long before there was internet. Netscape or Explorer or any web browsers, we were using FTP and Gopher and stuff like that to, to get the word out. But it was all, Billy taught me how to do that. I can just imagine you right in the middle of playing a good game of Pong, you know, your tech nerds come in and go, <laughs> hey, this is better than Pong, Rick, we got to do this. Um, okay, so... <laughs> So the like, were you ever? Did you ever get fanboy with Billy Graham? I mean, you met him at twenty. That you must have gotten all silly and and feeling goofy well, in his presence. No, no doubt about it. In, in the early days, the early years, uh, I, I idolized him and actually tried to do an imitation of him. It was we used to do that at camps and stuff. Like <laughs> hold that. on, hold on, but, hold on. Can yeah. you do that now? I hadn't done it in fifty years. So I wouldn't even remember how to do it. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I wish I I wish I could. You'd you'd get a kick out of it. Uh, but you know, one of, here's one of the big things about Billy that a lot of people don't know. He was an encourager. Uh, he he really was an affirmer, and it wasn't just like the celebrities and cool people, but the normal people who he just took an interest in. I I, I wrote my first book, Drew, when I was in I think I was 19, and nobody would publish it, so I self published it myself. I was in college. And it was called Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods. And I had no, zero confidence in my writing. Uh, but in the mid-80s, Billy Graham called me up and said, Rick, I'm going to do this big 10-day training event in Amsterdam called Amsterdam uh, 86 and Amsterdam 83. And I'm bringing in 13,000 Christian leaders from all around the world, 190 countries. And I want you to come teach your book. And I, I bought 13,000 copies, and we're going to give it out in 17 languages and uh, to free to all these people, and you come teach it. I'm in my mid-20s, and I, I thought, you know, well, maybe if Billy Graham likes it, maybe it's okay. And it kind of gave me some confidence. If, if he hadn't had that confidence, I don't know if I'd ever written some of the other stuff I wrote. Oh, gee. So hold on. You had the same sort of early-in-your-youth rock star experience as Justin Bieber. That's exciting. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know about that. Uh. <laughs> you know what drives me nuts? Having grown up in the funeral industry, been a pastor, I'm a hospital chaplain. I've, you know, yeah. you stand at funerals and you hear yeah. everyone say beautiful things about somebody, and you think, man, I wish I'd met them. They sounded like they were perfect. You know, the oxymoron is is a human perfection. No such thing. Controversy. But but none, really. I mean, the only thing I can think of was, I think he was uh, accidentally recorded or intentionally recorded on uh, during the Watergate stuff, saying something about the, the Jews owning the media. And to the very end, he just regretted saying that. And we've all, tri- oh, yeah. we've all tripped up no, we've over all our words. Stuff, uh, yeah. when you kiss up to somebody. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So no, no doubt about that. But here's a couple things that I, I was most proud of Billy Graham. He was willing to take risks, for instance, as a bridge builder in the in the 1950s and the 1960s in the south in the US Billy Graham refused to do crusades unless they were integrated yeah. that was quite controversial uh caused a lot of problems and actually the Billy Graham crusades were the very first publicly integrated meetings in the south in many of those cities because he said I'm not coming unless you let everybody, regardless of color, skin, or ethnic background, in. And not only that, he said, uh, we got to have everybody at the table, too, all the different kinds of Christians. So on the stage, he'd have Catholics and Protestants. He'd have evangelicals and charismatics. He'd have fundamentalists and all kinds of others. And he, and he just insisted that everybody be on the stage. That made some of those tribes mad who wanted to say, oh no, I'm only of Apollos, I'm only of Paul, that it, it can only be my group and God can't bless anybody else. And then, you know, I remember when Billy Graham got invited to go to Russia to, to preach, and Russia was still under communist domination at the time, and he was ruthlessly criticized by a number of Christians saying, uh, you're being, you're a pawn of the communist government, they are using you. And Billy's response was, well, so what? I'm using them. <laughs> you know, in other words, I, I, I don't care. And, and this is a personal thing with me, uh, Drew, is that a lot of guys today in ministry, a lot of pastors, are scared to death uh to talk with people who really need help and need the good news because they're afraid of guilt by association yeah and it's like well jesus said i'm the friend of sinners I, the pharisees thought that was a put down jesus considered a compliment i considered a compliment yeah and and so i've been criticized for speaking to you know other religions to muslim groups and the jewish groups and the uh, you know atheist groups and and gay groups and you know all kinds of you know uh, liberal groups and conservative groups. well you know what i as an evangelist i spend most of my time talking with people who disagree with me yeah, yeah. Well, isn't that where I'm supposed to be? I mean, preaching to the choir doesn't help anybody. Well, I, but you've got to be willing to do what Billy Graham did. I want to apologize for the irreparable damage it's going to do to your reputation being on my show again. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I, 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 I gave up the fear of uh, association, guilt association, a long time ago. <laughs> good, good. Okay, so the thing that stands out for me, and I think I, I, I talked to. Uh, to Larry Ross about this the last time Larry was on the show. Larry, of course, has been yeah. Billy Graham's publicist for 473 years. Right. Um, and it was and about... he started when he was two years old. Yes, yes. And it was it was about the whole... Um, uh, is it true that they used to p- send people into the hotel rooms to look around, make sure there wasn't any kind of setup happening because people were trying to set him up? Do you know if that's true? 
No, it ab- absolutely is true, and I've actually heard Billy tell those stories. Um, in the early years, the very early years, back in the 40s, when Graham was first getting started, he took his team, and they happened to be in uh, the town of Modesto, California, and they holed up in a in a hotel, and I said, okay, let's look at all of the things that cause people to trip up in ministry. And whether it had to do with issues of pride or issues of sex or issues of money, they made a list and said, we're going to do the exact opposite. And so they made a list, they called it the the Modesto Compact, which said, you know, here's what we're going to do. Uh, for instance, we're not going to accept offerings from, uh, you know, take an offering and pay ourselves from the offering in each place. Uh, we'll set up, put ourselves on a salary, and so there's no funny money going on with, you know, you're getting rich and stuff like that. And there are a bunch of rules that they made, and I, shamelessly, we copied those at Saddleback 38 years ago, uh, in the same areas, and we call them our Saddleback Staff Commandments. We didn't think them up. They actually came from the Graham team uh, because it. people say, well, you're being legalistic here. And I said, well, you know what? I'd rather go overboard than be thrown overboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's, it kept them clean, and it kept them uh, with, a, with a reputation uh, for integrity all these 60 years. Can't imagine that that length of ministry, 60-year ministry. So here's the thing. We, we lost Billy Graham this week, 99 years old. Uh, there's a part of me that goes, really, God, you couldn't let him stay for 100? Really? Right, you know? right. Why not till next November? Seriously, come on. Anyway, yeah. um, but but Phyllis Tickle is a famous sort of theologian and church historian, and, and, uh, and she talked about, uh, has talked about uh, quite often, the fact that every 500 years, the church goes through some kind of blowing up Reformation thing. And she, th- she thinks, and has said this before her death many times, that we are in that, that time right now. And, and mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how to say this or what it actually means, but I've always thought that when Billy Graham goes, something is going to be different in the, in the spiritual ethos out there, in, in the spiritual yeah. realm. They're just, it feels like some, like that era, that kind of man, that stuff is gone. Well, I, I hear what you're saying. People often ask me, um, who's going to be the next Billy Graham? And my answer is always the same thing. There's, there is no next Billy Graham. No. There will be no replacement. Not only is Billy irreplaceable because he was unique, but the world has changed. We're not the same world that that we were in the 40s, 50s, 60s when people watched two or three channels on TV. <laughs> the world is much more fragmented in terms of um, you know channels of communication and so many other other things. Uh, but if you look at history in each generation, God raises up new women and new men uh, to do, as He said of King David, acts. Uh, 1336, which is actually my life verse, it says this, David served God's purpose in his generation, and then he died. Now you think, well, that's kind of a stupid, a crazy uh, life verse, but no, think about it. It says David served God's purpose in his generation. He did the timeless in a timely way. He did that which never changes in a world that's constantly changing. He, he did that which was eternal served God's purpose, but he did it in a contemporary and an up-to-date and a a, a way that people understood in in the style and cultural language of today. 
It says he served God's purpose in generation, then he died. To me, Drew, that's the definition of success. Serve God's purpose in your generation. And that would be great on my tombstone, your tombstone, or anybody else's, that we served God's purpose in our generation, then we died. I mean, who wants to be around here after God's through with you anyway? I, I want to go on, on, on to be in heaven. I don't want to be around where we've got sin, suffering, sickness, sorrow, sadness. I, I, want, I want to live forever. I just don't want to live forever here. Wait, go through that you alliteration know? again, all the S's? Sin, suffering, sin, sickness? Sin, sorrow, suffering, sadness, and sickness. Man, that sucks. I, Okay, that's uh, you could add an S. There we go, and suckiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 so we are made to last forever. We're just not made to last forever here. Yeah. And I, I'm glad. Uh, by the way, you know that's a good question that I don't know if a lot of people, your listeners, have thought about. If if God made us to li- to live forever, and He did, and He wants us with Him in heaven, why didn't He just create us and take us to heaven first? Why did He put us here on this planet for sixty, eighty? 90, 100 years at the most. And the answer is this is the testing ground. This is the kindergarten. This is the warm-up act. It's the first lap around the race before the real race begins. It's the dress rehearsal. Right. And, and, and so Billy Graham, you know, went into the presence of God instantly. Uh, but he served God's purpose in his generation. And, and I think that the answer, uh, in one way, Phyllis is right. There, there will be a change. There's no doubt about that. But I think that's been true in every generation. God uses new people and new leaders every time. The last time you saw Billy Graham? Uh, probably a year ago. Um, he, he had been, he's been homebound for, uh, some time. He was very, uh, could barely hear and could barely see. He had lost most of his sight and lost most of his hearing, so he had to talk real loud. Uh, he had been ready to go to heaven. Uh, ever since Ruth, his wife, had died uh, uh, a couple decades earlier. But, uh, and many times he would say, I don't know why I'm still here. <laughs> and we said, well, you know, that's a question none of us can answer on this side. Uh, there's a lot of the stuff we don't, we don't know till we get to the other side. It's okay to ask it, but we're just not going to get the answer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, just before we say goodbye to Rick Warren, Mr. Saddleback, Mr. Purpose Driven, um, two things. Number one, I can't, I can't do an interview with you without, I gotta say something about Matthew. Man, that just sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, and I, I, I remember reaching out to Kay, we, we've talked about it on the show, and uh, yeah. your, your wife Kay, and, um, yeah. dude, I, I, there's no words. Like, there are no words, and, and anything that could be said would just fall completely flat right in front of you, and I'm, all I know is that sucks. That's it. You know what? I appreciate what you said, but that's really all you need to say. In fact, one of the things we need to tell people that the greater the crisis that people go through, the fewer words you need. Mm. You know, if somebody's having a bad hair day, you want to sit down and talk with them for 30 minutes? Uh, or, you know, that's okay. But if somebody loses a son, a son with mental illness to suicide, you just need to show up and shut up. Yep. What, what, what's, what you need is the ministry of presence. People often avoid people in pain because they go, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. No. In fact, it'd be better if you don't. What you need to do is just be there, show up, shut up. It's the ministry of presence. It's, it's, it's being there. In fact, Kay may have mentioned this when she was on our show. One of the decisions that Kay and I made after Matthew took his life, and it was the worst day of my life, and we're still grieving over it. Um, you, you get through it. You don't get over it. It's like if you lose, if your right arm gets cut off, 
you'll get through it, but you don't get over it. It's I miss my son. I wish he was back. But we're not going to waste our pain, and that's why we were very open and very authentic and and talk about you know all the struggles. But one of the things Kay and I decided is that we weren't going to try to talk each other out of our pain. Nice. That we would we would just if grief and like a lot of other every emotion is meant to be felt that's the first thing your your listeners need to know emotions or feelings are meant to be felt they're neither right nor wrong they're simply feelings and the only reason you have feelings because god is an emotional god god has emotions the bible says god gets mad the bible says god gets frustrated the bible says god gets jealous the bible says god gets sad uh, and god weeps so the only reason you and I are able to have those emotions, the negative or the positive, is because we're made in God's image. You know, cows cows don't get jealous, and and slugs don't weep, and you know, snails don't grieve because they're not made in God's image. So emotions are are meant to be felt, and I tell people you don't you don't repress it and you don't suppress it. But you confess it and you express it. You know, you you, you tell it to God and, and you get it out. And so when Kay and I were going through uh, uh, the year, a uh, full year, we were in shock after Matthew's death. We know that waves come and go. Sometimes you go, I can handle it. And the next minute you go, I can't handle it. It's like depression. Yeah. When you're going through depression, one of you go, I can handle this. Next minute, I can't handle this. <laughs> and, and... And uh, I would say to any listener, never make a major decision uh, based on an emotion because the emotion is going to change. By its very nature, no emotion can last, whether it's a positive one at a wedding or it's a negative one feeling like I want to take my life. No emotion by its very nature can last. So don't make an emotional decision because it, it'll change within within minutes. But we just said, when we're going through the wave, if I was feeling bad or Kay was feeling bad, instead of coming up and trying to talk them out of it, you just walk up to them, put your arm around or touch their you know, arm or just get close to them and try to feel it with them. And actually, Kay and I are closer together as husband and wife uh, than we've ever been since Matthew died because of that one thing, hmm. that we, we stopped trying to make each other happy. And um, I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that's a powerful thing that people need to realize. That just try to feel the emotion. Don't try to talk people out of it. Don't try to cheer them up. And the appropriate thing to say when you're walking, just like you did, you just modeled for, uh, you know, the, all the listeners how to deal with somebody in pain. And it is this. Even if it's six months or a year later, it's the first time you see him, you just simply say, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your family's loss because it's more than your loss. I'm sorry for your family's loss. And that's all you need to say. Mm-hmm. You don't ask questions, how you doing, because you might want to not know. They might <laughs> want to say, well, you don't want to know how I'm feeling. I'm not doing very good right now. Yeah. Or you get back the, how do you think I'm feeling? Yeah, yeah. how do you think I'm feeling? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like going into patients' rooms at the hospital and saying, so, how you feeling? You know. <laughs> 
minutes in. Um, okay, and then and then look, the the Kay was on my show just a couple months ago, and I I brought her into a segment that we're doing called uh, "Crawling Back to the Light" because after seven years of willingly walking down the road of doubt uh, without a safety rope uh, mm-hmm. and just not being convinced that there's a God anymore, my life yeah, went down yeah. the my life went down the crapper, and so wow. I'm I'm wow. I want to ask you if I decide yeah. if I'm now deciding to crawl back to the light. So I've got to ask you just yeah. before we say goodbye. Give me, give me something. Give me one, two things. If you were me after seven yeah. years of walking away and, yeah. and yeah. it didn't go the way it went worser than ever. Right. Then, right. then right. How, what is crawling back? What, what should it smell like and what should it not look like or feel like? Great question. Fan, fantastic question. Um, because all of us walk away at times, whether it's for a moment or a week or a month or a year or longer, but you know, you have waves in your life. And, um, and so uh, the big issue is, is how do you get back? Well, a couple things. First, don't focus on what you do for God. Uh, that, that's not it. It's not, you know, I could tell you the standard stuff. Pray, get involved in a, in a, in, in a, in a fellowship. Get with, certainly need to get around some other believers. You, you don't get your heart warm again by yourself. You gotta get around some people who have some warmth in their heart. And, and it'll spread from heart to heart. So I'm a firm believer that any path involves other people, that we, we're better together, we get well in community, we come back in community, and, and churches need to be a place where it's okay if people at different stages of either walking away or walking back can find support and help at that stage without them going, you know, it, it, it's like there were times when Matthew was, um, uh, in deep, deep grief, and you feel in that deep thing. I don't even know what I believe right now. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. I don't, I don't even know if what I believe. Do I believe in God? Whatever. And and what you need in that point are people who go. It's okay. You don't have to believe right now. We'll believe God for you. Get on a stretcher. We'll carry you. <laughs> we, you don't have to have any faith right now. Just have some friends who will have faith for you and will carry you on the stretcher when you can't walk. That's legit. Okay. The other thing is focus not on how much you love God. I have people tell me all the time, you know, Rick, I think my problem is I just don't love God enough. And I say, uh, wrong answer. <laughs> the problem is not that you don't love God enough. The problem is you really don't get how much he loves you. Because if you did, if you really, 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 really understood how much God loves you and that you can't make God stop loving you, that God loves you as much as he does today as he did yesterday, he'll love you no more or no less tomorrow. God will never love you any more than he does this second. God will never love you any less in the second because his love isn't based on what you do. His love is based on who he is, his character. God is love. Mm. And so... It's not that I don't love God enough. It's that I don't realize how much God loves me. If I really understand how much God loves me, I can't help but love him back. If I don't love God, it just means somehow the picture's gotten cloudy, the reception's gotten fuzzy, and I can't see how much he loves me. My number one job, your number one job, whoever's listening, their number one job in life is not to love God. Their number one job in life is to let God love them. That's, that's the reason we're created. 
The whole reason you exist is God made you to love you. If he didn't want to love you, you wouldn't exist. If, you didn't, if he didn't love you, your heart wouldn't take another beat. You wouldn't take another breath. God, the Bible says God is love. It doesn't say he has love. It says he is love. It's his character. It's his nature. The only reason there's any love in the universe is because a creator is a God of love. If God wasn't a God of love, there'd be no love in the universe. The further away we get from God, the more we feel unloved mm. and the more unloving we are. True story. The closer we get to God, the more we feel loved and the more loving we'll be. Yeah, well, you just summarized quite nicely. Um yeah, uh, an awaking realization I had. I mean, look, I I I am yeah. trying to de uh, jerk myself, and, <laughs> and and uh, and part of the part of the process is is willingly uh, taking the backpack filled with yeah butts that I've been yeah. ca- carrying around, yeah, and just putting that down on the ground and um and and allowing and allowing God to love me. You know what, man? I don't. Uh, well, let's end it like. Like this, because you just said the same stuff that Billy Graham has been saying forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I just I just watched a video, yep. I read an article, and the yep. guy went on and on and on incessantly about yeah. God's love. Yeah, not about our love uh, for for him, but but God's yeah, love yeah. for the, us. The whole issue is when we don't feel loved, it causes all kinds of problems in our lives. And I'm I'm proud of you, Drew, for honestly laying it all out there in front of your audience. I it takes guts to uh, to walk backwards, and it takes guts to walk forwards uh, in front of everybody else. And I I hope that as a result that it'll cause other people, some people, out to go on. Man, I'm, I don't know where I am. I'm hopeless or I'm mixed up. It doesn't matter. Doesn't stop God from loving you one bit less than, than he did when you thought you had it all together or whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, if I can model what it's like, what it looks like to be a spiritual putz, uh, then I can, (laughs) I can, I got that one down. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time, Rick. And, uh, yeah. All right. Just for everything you do. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye.